Nexus Church is all about cultivating an authentic Christian community where old and young alike journey with Jesus and are transformed by the gospel. May we be challenged and inspired by the power of His Word. Yeah, I have the privilege this morning to share from the Word, and and I love this opportunity. I'm grateful for this opportunity, particularly in this atmosphere that we're in right now. Um, I heard it described recently that um, it's like there's waves. I love the ocean, but it's like there's waves of anxiety that affect our hearts. There was a, just through media, it was articulated in that way. I went, yeah, that that sort of resonates. That That's a bit of what's going on right now. And and as a church heading into the beginning of this year, we, we, we can find that we can get so distracted with so much going on. And the heart that Pastor Nathan and Beck have and the heart that we have as a church in this starting out 2022 period is is, is really this phrase that we've titled what we were, the mini-series we're in, which started last week and Pastor Nathan's going to continue next week. And, and it's this phrase that I, I heard so much in my, um, if I put it this way, in my sporting career um, of under six to junior Colts with Northside Soccer Club. Um, I think of it as a career because it went over 10 years and uh, we had fun and some victories. But um, I, I, in playing sport in my soccer team, there was this phrase that you'd hear. And um, it, it was this, you'd be in a game and you'd be in the first half of the game and, and things just weren't clicking and things were just out of sync and it was a bit like everything was everywhere and it's like what we were trying just wasn't seeming to work, whatever that meant and you were distracted and it detracted from what was going on and, and you get to half time. And you hear this phrase, and, and even commentators say this at times as they're talking about sports teams, and, and it's this phrase, simply a few words, hey team, let's get back to basics. Let, let's just bring our focus back to basics. And so that's what we've titled this mini-series we're in, where we're not going through specific books, but we're looking at isolated chapters to help us with this focus, to frame up the year, hey, let's get back to basics, because when you get back to basics, it shifts the momentum. It starts to lay a foundation that sets us up well. Let's get back to basics. And as I referred to, you know, the atmosphere of life right now, it's a bit like that game in the first half, where things can be like a bit of a false start to the year where you get distracted or you you make things too complex. Like one of the reasons you go, let's get back to basics in sport is because you've made it too complicated or you're trying to take shortcuts because you're you're doing the low percentage play for the big gain rather than willing to dig in and just do the basics well and set up for success for the year. And so maybe we've all found ourselves there in some way where everything's just all over the place. This mini-series is essentially this, let's get back to basics. It's a halftime chat. You know, last week, as I referred to, Pastor Gary, he left us with this basic. He took us to the resurrection power of Christ that lives in us, that foundation. He left us with that activity, that exercise. Hey, let's look, let's fix, let's set, get back to basics. And next week, Pastor Nathan will carry. But today, I want us to go to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, as we contemplate, what is the basics to get back to, to get out of the complications that we put, all the shortcuts, the the Hail Mary throws that we're trying to do in life right now, and you go, hey, we're just daily doing the basics. And Hebrews 4, especially verse 16, but we're going to read verse 14 to 16, there's something to see about who Jesus is, and there's something to take into our year that is practical, 
another exercise, as it were, that helps focus us into a position of being in communion, connection with the source of life, our way maker, our light giver, the one who makes a way. And so let's read in Hebrews 4, and I invite you to open your hearts, verse 14, as we read this to what is being said. Look for who Jesus is and the call, the rally cry to us. Therefore, verse 14, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Here's the rally cry. Here's the get back to basics. Let us then, let us therefore approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us, therefore, approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You know, that phrase, that rally cry, that let get back to basics call, what is the basics? Let's approach God's throne of grace with confidence. That is something that, you know, on the surface feels nice to say, But when we think about it, how we feel about that phrase and that call to action is heavily dictated to and determined by how we imagine God to be. How we imagine God to be. And so that first question is, who is the author telling us Jesus is? And in that, who is God? Who is God? Because if we think that God, when we hear this this call, approach God's throne of grace with confidence, if we think that God is like the Greek gods of the past, the Zeus, as it were, sitting distant, all-powerful, but able to use us just as pawns in the game of the world and strike us down with lightning, why would we approach God's throne of grace with confidence? Why would we even want to do that? Maybe if we think that he's our friend, Well, that's nice, but we've got lots of friends, if that's how we envision God. But there's something here the author wants us to get that recalibrates us, just refocuses us, that gaze, as it were, to look at who Jesus is. And it's found, it's even given the imperative of the therefore of verse 16. There's something for us to see. Let us then. What is that then pointing to? Reveals who Jesus is. And it's found in verse 14. And it's the whole message of Hebrews, actually. It's these words that simply say, we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest. Now, 2,000 years on, we could be right to be thinking, okay, what does that even mean? What does that really mean? Like, okay, that sounds really good and grand and like we have a great hope. What does that mean? And we might think of the, the, the traditional Catholic priest or that thin group of people that have uh, 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 you know, done the work to be called the title of priest. Or we might be going, hey, well, that's not relevant to me. Uh, that has nothing to do with the reality of my life right now. But there's something behind this when we start to understand what a priest is. So I want to invite us to actually take the, the, the recent cultural layers that we might put on a priest and actually go, well, what does it mean to be a priest in that time and what does that mean for us? And what we find is that for the Hebrews that were listening to that, they were thinking of the Levitical priesthood. They were thinking of a, a priest as someone who represented them before God who would give offerings and sacrifices and to keep them in right standing with God, connected with God. They would intercede and advocate. They were 
people who would deal gently, Scripture says, with the people. They would deal gently because they understand there is weakness, that there is challenge that is faced. They would deal gently with. And even when you had diseases or leprosy, you were to go to the priest if you were healed for whatever reason. If that disease left your body, you would go to the priest. And the priest would, what the priest would do is, is a, you know, affirm that you have been healed and then reinstate you into community. It's this beautiful picture, actually, of the lonely being connected to community. And so that's what it was back then. But if I put it more in modern language, it's a bit like this. They're the people that you bring your stuff to. They're the people that you bring your hurt and your issues to, when your sin and your consequences to help get sorting out your stuff. Not necessarily bad stuff, but to sort out your stuff. They're the people that if you feel stuck, you, you, you would go to to help become unstuck. To, to, to help you in that. They're the people who would care for you, to, that would come alongside you, who advocate for you. And, and how, how do we, if we're honest with ourselves, how many know we all need an advocate at times in life? They're the people who connect the lonely back into community. They're the people who feed and clothe others. That's just a small picture of what they are if we put it more in modern language. They're the people that we come to for that. And I find it fascinating in the chapter after this, that in chapter 7, actually, two chapters, three chapters on, if I can use my maths from 4 to 7, three chapters on, I find it fascinating that speaking of Jesus, it says that such a high priest truly meets our need. Such a high priest truly meets our need. You know, we say around here, as we've looked at Jesus' life, that, that God meets the need below the need. I counsel and I work with people who have anger challenges in their life and, and you quickly first need to help them understand that anger is like the iceberg that you see at the top but actually below the surface is actually what's going on, a whole lot of other emotions that they're struggling to put language to. It's the need below the need. It's, it's like this if I use this illustration. It's like when my wife feels <clears throat> the need to be grumpy with me. But I just take it on myself in those moments to remind her that actually she doesn't have the need to be grumpy with me, that actually below that need is that she just needs to eat something. <laughs> he knows what I'm talking about. No, 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 don't put your hand up. No, I'm actually being facetious. My wife is here. I, I did let her know I was doing this, um, and, and she doesn't do that. But maybe it's more like this. Maybe it's more like, you know, parents, you're really excited that you have two more weeks of kids on holidays, hey? That's awesome, so much fun. And it's a bit like this, like, you know, your kids, they'll come to you and they'll say, I'm hungry, and they have a snack, and then half an hour later, they're, they're hungry again, and they have a snack, and then half an hour later, they're hungry again, and, and, and you go, hey, hey, actually, hey, son, hey, daughter, you're not actually hungry, what you need is actually to drink something. You're thirsty. You know, it's the need below the need. When we look at Jesus, why is it that when he sees a paralytic or a blind person and, and, he, and he, he, is, he knows and sees their need, their surface need, but he actually goes deeper and he says, hey, you're healed, but your sins are forgiven. He sees the need below the need. And that's what we're talking at here. And that the message of Hebrews here is that there's something we're searching for that we won't find anywhere except in him a deep need in our hearts that we long for, a need below the need. We need a great high priest who is the source of our salvation, who will come with us and help move our story forward and make it a better story. Such a high priest truly meets our need. Hmm. 
think I've just botched myself up here in my organisation. Bear with me. Bear with me. Doubled up a page. If you think about it, our behaviour actually reveals this a little bit to us. You know, while we don't have priests like at the times, um, we don't have priests like at the times that was written, today we still have priests, as I've alluded to, that we still go to for this need, for the things that we need below the surface of our surface needs, our, that we can sometimes be our preferences or desires, the need below the need. We go to them, and there's nothing wrong with these people, um, some of these roles, but the reality is, and I'll mention in a moment who they are, but the reality is, is that they're incomplete in being able to fully be our great high priest that truly meets our need. You know, you think about it, when we want to deal with the pains and hurts of our past, where do we go? We go to a therapist priest. You know, if we, have, we, if we want and need someone to empathize with us and who hears us, where do we go? We go to a real friend priest. You know, if we're lonely, where do we go? Maybe it's to a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner priest. You know, if we um, are looking and we're feeling like we're stuck and we're looking for goals and strategies to help get us unstuck, we'll go to a life coach priest. You know, even it, we would at times go, hey, I've got this in myself, and we make us, ourselves the priest that we go to, relying, confident in ourselves. And I would say it even this, and I know I'm a pastor, and Pastor Nathan, and all of the pastors here, that we are incomplete and insufficient in being the great high priest. But we go to these people, and that's fine. God can use that, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's recognizing that in and of themselves, if we make them our whole great high priest, our whole savior, the one we look for for all that we ultimately need below the surface, they will be incomplete, insufficient. But it reveals something in us that it's a need below the need, that we need a great high priest. And if we believe that they will be all that we need, what I find in myself and what I've seen in others is that we just bounce from person to person. We go from program to program. We go from this activity, this experience, to this experience. Or we become jaded and we get ambivalent and we just give up. But that's not God's heart for us. It, it, what the author of Hebrews is saying, in Jesus, we have a great high priest. And he is a great high priest who truly meets our needs. What does that mean? It means that he is one. It means that he is one who is able to fully empathize with us. You know, empathy is a word that gets thrown around a lot, and it's good. But when we look at Jesus, we see one who is completely, fully able to empathize with us, and he deals gently with us. You know, this image of an empathetic God, this idea of an empathetic God, is, was in that time when it was first heard, back 2,000 years, it was absolutely mind-blowing for people. Because the impression was that God was distant, and like that Greek god Zeus, it was like it, just there as pawns for, for the God's fun and the God's purpose, and they could just discard people. That's how they view. So the idea that, that God would so enter our suffering on the earth and experience in physical form our experience was mind-blowing and empathetic God. I sort of think of what that looks like like this. If you're a musician, you may have heard of the term sympathetic resonance. Sympathetic resonance. Basically, it's this idea that if you put two instruments, let's say a grand piano and another grand piano in a room, and you hit a note on one of those grand pianos, without a hand touching the other piano, that note will start to gently resonate and resound. And what that image represents when we think of Jesus as our empathetic high priest who we can come to is that his physical body, his 
instrument, as it were, that it, when he walked the earth and his exalted human instrument, when, it, and when a note is felt in our human experience and our motion, it is felt in his. Empathetic resonance. I put it like this. So that when a chord is struck in the weakness of our human instrument, it resonates in his. There is no note of human experience that does not play in Christ's human exalted body. Jesus does not just imagine how we feel. He feels it. That's an important point. He doesn't just imagine how we feel. He feels it. Whatever we may be going through, there is no note we can play, no melody or dirge, no major or minor chord, no discordant note that does not resonate in his with empathetic resonance. That is what it means. And that is hugely important because it means this, that we can come, in Jesus we have one who we can come and bring all our stuff with confidence, one who we can bring all that we're going through and he will get it. But not just will he get it with his empathetic resonance, but he will deal gently with us. He will come alongside us. He will advocate for us. He will intercede for us when we don't even have the words It's the only place we can come and be fully ourselves and fully know we are loved. That's huge. It's not a distant God. This is who Jesus is. This is the confidence that we can have to come like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane and be absolutely open and frank. And I don't want this, but it's your will, but help me, God. This is difficult. I've had moments when I'm driving in the car and it's just like, God... This is just crazy. It's all over the place. I need you. That is coming to God's throne of grace with confidence because he's an empathetic great high priest. But if we just stop there, it's good. But it's not great. And God knows that it's not fully, it's not the full picture of what we need. And God knew that. And so in, the, in Hebrews, just a few verses down, The author puts in this other verse that helps us understand more further what this means, that he is our great high priest. It's this this name Melchizedek that actually is mentioned in in a little later in chapter 5. It says, Jesus is designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is a guy who's mentioned in Genesis 14 and Psalm 110. And what we see in those chapters and what's relevant out of this is that he was both priest, but he was also king. And what that tells us is that was not something that ever happened. Priests were not kings, kings were not priests, except for this guy and now Jesus. And so it tells us this, that Jesus is not just our, our, our priest, one who advocates for us, cares for us, empathizes, gets alongside, advocates, all of those things. But he is actually our priestly king. And that is huge. He is not just priest, but he is king. He is king. And so a priest will care and do all those things, but a king leads A king has authority. A king goes to war and overcomes. A king gets things done and sustains the people through hard times. A priestly king. You know, I think of Lazarus, the story of Lazarus. It's one of my favorites of all time. I love it for so many different reasons. But one of the reasons is when Jesus comes to meet Mary, We're told that Mary is weeping over the loss of her brother, Lazarus, who's died and has been put in a tomb. And it says that Jesus wept. I love that. That's a picture of Jesus' empathetic priestly ministry. Jesus wept. 
But then a few verses later, we, we see, and I love it, we see that things turned a little bit for Jesus, and, and we're told that he is angry, that he is, it was this image of snorting, it, let me get it right, snorting like a wild animal. Can you picture that? I was watching Bear Grylls this week, uh, running wild. He takes famous people out into the bush, and there was this pig that was just all over the place, snorting. It's like snorting like a wild animal, but he's doing this at death. He's snorting like, he's like angry at death, and he does something about it. This is his kingly ministry. He does something about it. He raises Lazarus' body from death to life and he positions himself as one who is going to enter death and overcome it with the cross and the resurrection. He's our priestly king. So when we come to verse 16, to the get back to basic moment, the the rally core as it were, excuse me, when we understand who we are being called to come to, He is our priestly king. It changes everything. It gives it so much more weight. Let us, therefore, because we have a priestly king who truly meets all our need, our deepest need, one who deals gently with us, let us approach him with confidence, his throne of grace. Confidence, being open and frank, knowing that when we enter his throne of grace, as it were, It is the safest place we can find ourselves and the strongest place we can base ourselves. Mercy is for our past. Grace, capacity, resource for our present and our future. Can I ask, how do you imagine God to be? (coughs) How do you imagine God to be? Is he your priestly king? And coming into 2022, coming into this year, would we just get back to the basic of approaching our priestly king, God's throne of grace, with confidence? Would we, when fear comes, approach his throne of grace with confidence? Would we, when our kids are struggling, let us approach his throne of grace our empathetic king with confidence? Would we, when we are going into that important meeting, approach God's throne of grace with confidence? What do you approach in those moments? Who do you go to? Is it yourself that you place your confidence in? This year, would you approach his throne of grace, your priestly king with confidence? When you're celebrating and things are going well, would you approach his throne of grace with confidence? (laughs) And not just once, but again and again and again. Because the word approach is actually continuous tense. It's actually this image of creating a disposition in our lives that we would approach and approach again. And when the next day comes, approach again and approach again. Let's get back to basics, as it were. Approach and approach. And what I find is that actually this is super practical. And like Pastor Gary last week, I want to take us to some exercises that can help us posture with this. It's super practical. I find, for me, it's actions in my day that help lean me in this way. 
that I would approach him and not others first as my great high priest. Hmm. Even the word approach, I was thinking, is action-orientated. It's practical. Hmm. So it's things like last week, Gary's look, fix, set, positions us to step into the grace of God, the throne of grace. For me, Pastor Nathan's talked of it a little bit, it's this understanding of my Christian imagination, as it were, an imagination that is inspired by God. And what I mean by that is simply, uh, you know, all of who we are is designed to connect with God. And our imagination sometimes helps us to, to step into things that we wouldn't otherwise conceptualize. Again, how do we imagine God to be? It's hugely important with how we feel about this. For me, it's in the morning, simply thinking, okay, with my eyes closed, what does it look like for me to step into God's throne of grace, a place that is the safest I can be and find the resource I have where there's no fear? And I imagine myself walking into a throne room that is beautiful, but with no fear. And from that place, I then, like Jesus in the garden, start to be frank and open. And there's no masks. I can have confidence. I can bring my petitions. I was thinking of Philippians and that verse we know so well in this current climate, how important it is, again, getting back to basics, that we would present uh, with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present our request to God. But it's so much more than that too. It's about connection with God. It's not pulling him to our world, but us stepping into his environment around us. So it might be for some, the practical is each morning, what does it look like in your mind's eye to step into, approach the throne of grace, God's grace with confidence? It might be the look set fix. It might be what I've just described. It might be for some, you need a cue. And so for some people I know on their car, there's just some note that's on their dashboard or somewhere they see when they get in and that's their moment that triggers them to go, hey, I'm stepping in. I'm approaching with confidence the God's throne of grace. And I, I reckon, I know from experience, this makes all the difference to the atmosphere of our heart and the atmosphere of how we walk in and through our world because it positions us in communion with God. I heard this week it said that God does not define our life by what we do but by our communion with him. What we do helps us to get connected with communion but ultimately it's about the faith in the one we are meeting. So how do you imagine God to be? This year, would you get back to the basic of approaching his throne of grace with confidence, however that is actioned in your life? No matter what you face, would your default be, I'm approaching the throne of God's grace with confidence? Let's pray. You know, for those online, right now you can step, as we are here, step into the throne of God's grace with confidence, without fear. I invite you to lean in. You know, it's Sanford and Sandgate right now. I believe God's presence is there, drawing people.
as he is here, drawing people, shifting how we imagine God, to see him as our priestly king, to see Jesus as one who truly meets our needs. That the waves of anxiety as we do this would push back in a confidence in our priestly king, the one who gets it but also can do something about it and sustain us through it. Changes everything. So right now in your heart, in your mind's eye, just picture walking in to his throne of grace. To a presence, to his presence that is safe, to his presence where there is resource to sustain and do something about our stuff. And even start to speak to him right now with frankness, with boldness, with confidence, where you're at. Surrender those things to him as king. Lord, right now I pray a shifting of the atmosphere of the hearts of your people, wherever they are. Shift from fear and anxiety to hope and trust and faith. That that would grow in us as we approach you. You know, at home or at Sanford and Sandgate or here, you may have never had an understanding or never heard about the fact that you can approach Jesus. That he's not far off, that he's not looking to throw lightning bolts at you. He gets you. He gets where you're at. And his invitation is, hey, approach me. Approach me. I want to walk life with you. And as a king and as a priest, he gets you, but as a king, it does mean there's an allegiance to be given. That approaching him is an act of allegiance to him. And maybe you've never given your allegiance to Jesus before. I want to give you a chance this morning, wherever you are at home, Sanford, Sandgate, or here, to in your hearts respond if you want and say, hey, Jesus, I'm approaching you. I give my allegiance to you. Help me learn what it is to walk with you. And your heart is tugging you right now. I want to give you a chance to respond physically as an action of what's in your heart by simply raising your hand, be it at home even, God sees that, at Sangay, Sanford or here, to raise your hand while eyes are closed that I will see in this place and God will see and others will see and pastors will see and and we want to pray with you. So right now, if that's you, if you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, right now just lift your hand so I can see, God can see and we'll pray. Lord, across homes, Sandgate, Sanford, and here, you see the responses of these people. Lord, I pray that they would right now have a 
a, a growing understanding, a growing revelation of who you are as their priest king, that, Lord, you, as they put their trust in you, as they approach you, they would find that you are the one who truly meets their need. But more than that, you are the one who is worth walking life with, who takes our story and moves it forward to a better place. And we are so grateful for that. And I commit these people to you. And I thank you for that. We hope this message encouraged or perhaps even challenged you in your Christian faith. Our pastors meet regularly with people to pray and support them and we extend this invitation to you. Please let us know if we can contact you to offer support. Simply call the office or visit nexuschurch.com.au.